Welcome to the Healthy Insider Podcast, where we help supplement and functional food brands create better products. Today's host is Todd Runstead, Senior Editor. Hello there, and welcome to another edition of the Toddcast here at naturalproductsinsider.com. Uh, today, I am pleased to bring you Eric Anderson. Eric Anderson, good old friend of mine, uh, uh, industry veteran. He is now the managing director and co-founder of Next USA. That is NXT, N-X-T hyphen USA.com. Um, no relation to Steve Jobs. He is still with Natto Pharma, that's the MK7 vitamin K2 people. So he's got one foot in each company. So uh, you can do it all, Eric. Todd, it's, uh, it's, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. So uh, Eric Anderson, he has been marketing proprietary ingredients based upon clinical evidence for, I don't know, 20 years or more, I suspect. Um, Absorbital chitosan, chitosan, chitosan for weight management. I think that's when you first got rolling tonal in CLA. I remember that. That was, that had to have been back in the late nineties, I think. Um, also a weight management ingredient. There was five loxin for inflammation and in joint health. That was a big deal. Um, and then uh, Ocker Biomarine, Krill, right when it was getting off the ground and uh, you built the US team that was as first rate as it gets, as far as I was concerned, market leaders in Krill. Um, and then uh, MeniQ7 with Natto Pharma, that's the leader in long chain menaquinones of the vitamin K2 sort, um, far and away the most clinically studied vitamin K2 on the market. And now Tamiflex, back to joint health. And so since we're back onto joint health, let me just ask first, what has changed in the joint health market in the past 20 years? I mean, do companies even still use glucosamine and chondroitin anymore? Or is that just like so 20th century? Well, first I would say, Todd, thanks for the intro. Um, I've been very fortunate to be part of some great teams over the years working on uh, proprietary branded dietary ingredients. Um, so um, thank you so much for, for that. Um, within the joint health space, we kind of looked at the landscape and glucosamine and chondroitin has been the leading um, ingredient combination in the joint health space for many years and continues to be a, a top seller. Over the past five years, six years, seven years, the sales have been declining. And there may be a number of reasons for that. Um, but we see that the space is open and the space is looking for um, new participants. And as our population ages, and unfortunately we are, as we get a little bit older, our joints get a little stiffer, our bodies feel a little bit less loose, and we start to say, you know, what do I need to do? What can I, what can I take that might help me reach my just not only my fitness goals, but just my activity goals. And so that's why we looked at developing uh, Tamiflex uh, for joint health. You know, I, I mean, to me, it seems like if you're talking about why glucosamine and chondroitin, which used to be kind of the stalwarts of it, the, the issue with them is it would take a good six weeks. It, it would take until your second bottle of supplements before you might start feeling any effects on that. 
And so now all of a sudden it seems like there, there are these 21st century, if you will, uh, joint health ingredients uh, with uh, a time to when you start to feel their effects is well within the bounds of the first bottle of supplements. And so I imagine that's the case with Tamiflex. Is that one of those fast acting, faster acting joint health ingredients? So in fact it is. So Tamiflex was designed to approach a couple of different um, mediators of inflammation. And when I say inflammation, this is a B2B podcast, right? But we're talking about, um, in general, we all have inflammation. You need some level of inflammation for your joints to even function. But we want to keep that inflammation within um, positive, normal levels. So this kind of goes back to other applications like omega-3 fatty acids for joint health. Um, one of the key components of omega-3s, EPA, eicosapentaenoic acid, right, your, your omega-3s, that balance against your omega-6s like arachidonic acid, that kind of controls systemic inflammation. The problem is we get way too many omega-6s in our diet and not enough omega-3s. And so as that arachidonic acid starts to break down, what happens to it? Well, one pathway is the very well-known COX-2 pathway, and aspirin and ibuprofen and all your NSAIDs target the COX-2 pathway. COX-2 COX inhibitors. COX-2 inhibitors, absolutely. And then about 10 years ago, it was shown that 5-LOX inhibitors, 5-lipoxygenase uh, inhibitors, are also uh, have a role in systemic inflammation. Now, the 5-LOX inhibitors were really recognized more only for respiratory inflammation. Um, Advair and Singulair would act on 5-LOX and on, on further breakdown on the leukotrienes, but it was shown that 5-LOX can have a benefit for joint health and systemic inflammation as well. So when we designed Tamiflex, we said, let's, let's look at the 5-LOX as well as the COX-2. And then the third leg to the stool, if you will, is can we help protect the connective tissues? And in fact, we've just completed a study that shows that Tamiflex impacts joint flexibility, comfort, the ability to walk and do stairs in as little as five days. So that was a fantastic finding. That manuscript is being written up now. Um, this is the second study on Tamiflex. The first study we did, we used a population of healthy folks in their 40s and um, not really experiencing joint pain. So in that first study, we, we had to induce discomfort. So we asked them to walk as far as they could in a, in a timed in a time frame. We asked them to go up and down stairs in a time frame. How many stairs can you do? How do you do going up? How do you do going down? How much can you articulate your joint? And in that particular study with healthy participants, we showed that, you know, even in that, it, within 14 days, a significant improvement in joint comfort function and flexibility. So it's important to not only look at the historic uses of ingredients, and we should talk about that, but also to validate those ingredients in controlled double-blind studies that are then submitted to peer reviews for uh, a validation and then actually published and put into the public domain. So that we think that's very important. Yeah, uh, you know, let's just dig into that. How, you know, I guess the, the broader question is, what makes the natural products industry special? But the corollary is, 
what can we do to support companies that are bringing quality natural ingredients to market? And I think when we talk about quality here, um, right off the bat, we're going to talk clinically validated, right? So uh, talk about the value of, of nutrition science, I guess. So let's let's break that into two halves. Let's talk about discovery, um, and then we can talk about um, support. So a great example I mentioned omega three. So Dyerberg recognized many years ago that Eskimos eat a lot of fat, a lot of blubber, and they had less cardiovascular disease. Well, what's going on? Well, there's these great omega three fatty acids that were in their diet, and that spawned an, an entire. Uh, industry around omega threes, right? And then we can look at things. Exactly. Then we can look at things like, okay, um, deficiency. So, if you're deficient in vitamin C, you very quickly can develop scurvy, and this is what happened to the British soldiers that came over to America. They didn't have enough citrus, not enough vitamin C, so they got scurvy. So they were called limeys because they. Exactly. They travel with limes. And um, not only that, but do you know the brand name of the clothes that, that they would wear? Armani. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful joke. Um, but but to that end, you know, so some of these deficiencies are, are pretty obvious, like, you know, um, choline and, and B12 for neural tube defects, right? So um, things like um, vitamin K2 is a great example of discovery. Um, researchers recognized that people in Japan that ate a lot of this fermented soy food called natto um, had Pretty fewer gross. fractures and stronger bones. And they recognized within the, in the food natto, there's a whole lot of this vitamin K2, not vitamin K1, K2. And vitamin K2 has since been shown in many studies to help put calcium in the bones where you need it and to keep it out of the arteries where you don't want it. So that, that just shows the benefit of supplementation because the Japanese people who eat natto, they're not the best dates because that stuff is funky. But if you put it in a supplement pill, you can go merrily along and eat your sushi and be quite winsome. There's a real challenge with natto. It's an acquired taste. It's somewhere between Limburger and Jim Sock. I'm not quite sure, but I guess if you grow up on it. Well, you know, so, so tamarind seed tamarind seed, which is part of Tamiflex, that's in Worcestershire sauce. And, and it's used in sauces and various dishes around the world. Um, and, you know, when I think tamarind seed, there was that classic movie in like the 70s with Omar Sharif and Julie Andrews, Blake Edwards, who did the Pink Panther. Uh, how did tamarind seed find its way into a joint health formulation? Let's talk about that discovery. So that's fascinating. I didn't realize it was in Worcestershire, but tamarind seed and tamarind pulp are used in uh, a lot of cuisine, sweet and sour preparations. Um, but the 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 backstory, if you will, on this one is that there were some Ayurvedic practitioners that were traveling throughout Asia, throughout India, and they found folks that were quite elderly, but also quite ambulatory. They were, you know, really mobile and not having what you would expect to have in terms of joint discomfort as they aged. It turns out that they were taking the seeds of the tamarind pod and grinding them up to make a flower. And so the researchers said, wow, okay, what's what's going on here? What's happening? And then they were able to, you know, identify within the tamarind um, parenthesis that in other 
constituents that had benefits uh, primarily to inhibit the uh, five lox enzyme and to support inflammation and to support uh, antioxidant benefits. And so that really was the impetus to, to put this into a product. Now, um, the researchers also looked at turmeric root, um, which is rich in curcuminoids and said, well, this is a great product as well because the curcuminoids, they tend to be more targeting the COX enzymes, but also great antioxidants. And there are a lot of great nutrients um, in the turmeric root uh, above and beyond just the curcuminoids. And so we've created an extract that uses both alcohol and water to pull those, those fantastic nutrients out of the turmeric root and the tamarind seed, and then combine them together into a formulation. And it's the very first extract of tamarind seed available um, that we know of. And so to me, that formulation, that Tamiflex formulation of the tamarind and the curcumin, that suggests an intellectual property potentially. And so to me, the, the value proposition of branded ingredients is that they're clinically validated. You, you've mentioned two um, studies published so far, as well as they have intellectual property, IP protection, and, and uh, usually some supplier marketing heft behind it as well. How would you sell branded ingredients? I mean, are, are, are those like, like the classic three things? It's like, oh, you got science, you got IP, you got marketing help. Is, is that the is that the the big deal here? So yes, um, if we look at the discovery, so in the case of omega threes or vitamin K two, or in the case of tamarind, some researcher recognized that there's something in that compound, um, it, that that or compound within the plant that it would be effective and, and efficacious, and then that leads to cellular studies to show. The, the mechanism and the connection. That leads to um, in vivo studies in a living organism to show that there's you know, safety toxicity. And then that leads to uh, studies of efficacy. Um, in humans, can we prove that compared to a sugar pill, compared to a placebo, that this product has a specific benefit? And, and that's the most important element that Going through that process, going through discovery to evidence to safety and toxicity evaluation to evidence in humans is very important because natural compounds vary. If you take um, two different plants and you, uh, the same plant, you extract them two different manners, you end up with two different um, compositions of the product, right? So as a proprietary branded ingredient, when we go to the marketplace, we say it's not just any turmeric root, it's not just any tamarind seed extract. Um, we're not just pulling, for example, ginkgo biloba leaves off of a tree and grinding them up and throwing them in a capsule, right? This is something that has been validated and is proprietary and it has evidence. It's a natural product and natural compounds vary. So when we go to the marketplace, we say this special product these plants, which are, are derived from nature, these are extracted in a certain method, are tested and validated. These natural products, this formulation is what will give your customer, your consumer, the benefit that they desire, and it's been validated in peer-reviewed studies. For, um, for another company to say, well, hey, I've got the same stuff, 
but they haven't done the work, they don't have the evidence, well, that's just not the same thing, right? It might have zero efficacy because they've, they've not gone through the stages and, and, and proven it. They, the extraction might be incorrect, right? So the, 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 the import of the proprietary ingredient is that it's been, it's been um, validated from efficacy, regulatory, and human benefit, and now we're delivering something to the consumer that they can't expect to have a result. And that leads us right back to the Limeys and their brethren of the high seas, the pirates, and pirated ingredients, as they're known. Pirated science, pirated ingredients, where they're taking, oh, great, yeah, here's this company that came out with this great new uh, product that's got uh, you know, curcumin and, and tamarind seeds. Let's just come out with our own thing and, uh, and run with that. I mean, that's, that's kind of a, a threat that you face being a quality player, right? So the euphemism in our industry is that you're borrowing science, finger quotes in the air, right? We're just borrowing somebody else's evidence. And we'll claim that we do exactly the same thing, even though we haven't proven that we do exactly the same thing. But I think you're right. You're pirating science. It's outright theft. Unless you validate that your process and your starting material and your final product has that benefit, you're actually making a structure function statement that is not substantiated by evidence. Um, FTC and our friends at FDA, what you put on your label, what you put in your advertising, need to have valid substantiation. So whether we're looking at omega-3s or um, herbal products, products that come from our trade, um, we need to show validation. What has set our trade apart, I think, pre deshay the Dietary Supplement Health Education Act of uh, 2004, right, is that we're able to make statements of efficacy. Oh, excuse me, 1994, October 15. We're able to make statements of efficacy, but we have to have the evidence and if you're borrowing the science, I argue that you really don't have the evidence. You have hope. <laughs> hope in a bottle. You know, all of this, the, the, the three legs of validation, regulatory compliance, um, you know, all that, uh, it comes at a cost. And so I'm curious how many times, you know, just in the way of war stories, have you made that quality pitch to brands only to have them sort of pull the rug out from under you at the 11th hour because, oh, well, you know, we can get a similar ingredient for China from China at 30% of the cost. Bye-bye. That probably happens, right? I mean, I've, I've heard people tell that story. So there are brands that really care about quality, really care about evidence, and they, um, they carry that all the way through from the selection of their raw ingredients to the selection of their excipients to using current good manufacturing practices to make their products, to test their products, um, even looking at stability of the finished good. And those companies tend to flourish. There are companies that, that, that don't do the work and they try to compete on price and they cut corners. And, um, you know, those are not the types of companies that we would typically pursue to bring a product to market. The great fear that we have is that you put a product out that's efficacious and somebody says, I have the same thing and it doesn't work. And so then the consumer tries the product and they say, well, that product doesn't work. So not just the product that was inferior doesn't work, but any product that carries a similar sounding ingredient 
doesn't work. It damages everyone. I guess a real extreme um, example of that would be tryptophan, where one bad batch actually made some people sick, killed a few people, and tryptophan itself was gone. When people put out products that, that are imitators, that are pirated, that don't work, it hurts the industry as a whole, and it impedes innovation. If we're going to invest, take the product from discovery all the way through multiple human clinical studies, and then the brand company says, oh, I'm just going to buy the cheap guy, well, how does the person who's investing in creating that value, how do they survive, right? Fortunately, the companies that care, the companies that respect intellectual property, and in this case, Tamiflex is, is patent pending, the companies that respect that are the companies that support you, and that's what makes our industry great. The cheaters, the people that cut corners, the pirates, they don't bring value. They just pull us down. Yeah. So can you, you got any anecdotes of these sort of triumphant stories about how quality sells? I mean, I love those stories. Do brands think that they can differentiate themselves in the market by going high quality? I mean, you know, you, you always like to think that that's the case, but then you but all too often you see that the top three considerations for all too many companies are price, price, and price. So um, without specifically naming names, you know, over the years we've been able to go into companies and say, here's our product, and this is what it does, and this is how it does it. And then um, the company may say, well, I can get the same ingredient from company X for half price. Why should I buy yours? And then if we sit down and say, well, you know, underneath the current Deshay regulations, you have to have evidence that your product is efficacious. Here's your evidence. How do you make a claim on a guy that doesn't have any proof, on a company that doesn't have any proof? So the the serious companies have chosen to stay with us. Um, we've gone to companies that are working with a product, maybe not aware that there are superior technologies available um, in, in other channels, other categories, other ingredients, and we say, well, here's all of the evidence and efficacy supporting our product. We really think this is a better choice for you. And often those companies will make the choice. Oh, okay, there's a better mousetrap. There's something that is superior. And they'll make the choice to move to the proven technology. And those, those are the great stories. Um, the stories that aren't wonderful is if you go into a company and, and you say, you know, We've, we've tested your raw ingredient and we've looked at the active markers and here are the lab results and you're, you're, selling, you're selling nothing. Um, they tend to get very angry. So that's not the best approach. What, what do you mean? People don't like to be uh, uh, proven wrong? <laughs> so, so here's your ingredient, uh, vitamin X, and here's the lab result and there's no vitamin X in it. Um, so maybe you should buy our vitamin Y, and they um, they don't tend to take that very well. But this is why we see um, trade groups and trade organizations um, that are saying it's very important that we have recognized test methods, that we have recognized standards. Um, companies like USP, you know, do this for a living. Here's a monograph. This is what this particular ingredient needs to needs to. Um, be composed of. Um, this helps everyone in the industry to have a, a level playing field. Um, my real concern as we look at the impacts of the plague, the acceleration of online shopping and online fulfillment, when you look at many of these products on, yes, let's say at Amazon, 
if you look at the top 10 selling products in any category, maybe four or five of the companies you recognize as being traditional branded companies with, with quality reputations, um, the others, you've never even heard of them. We hope that they follow good manufacturing practices. We hope that they make good selections on their raw materials. Um, but this is the internet, right? This is the misinformation highway. Um, I think as an industry, it behooves us to continue to bring standards to the front and to um, self-police as much as we can and to recognize folks that are, are cutting corners. Yeah, I mean, so that just goes to show that that sort of quality versus price consideration, it goes all the way down to consumers, you know. I mean, when when I'm buying a used book on Amazon and not my local used bookstore, sure, I'll pay one penny plus shipping, uh, you know, for uh, an okay used book, uh, you know. So that's it, it's a... It's a tough, it's a tough sell. Does it make it an easier sell when you can point to published clinical studies on your specific ingredients that says, yeah, this works? Absolutely, because the brands that care about quality, that care about efficacy, care about the statements that they're putting um, on their labels, that they're putting out through the many means of media, they want that evidence. They want to know that the product has been validated, peer-reviewed. Um, this is important, and this is this is best practice in our industry, um, and that's really the companies that um, that support us and have supported us over the years, um, in order to you know successfully bring new new ingredients, new technologies to market. Yeah, this is an interesting story. That this whole qu communicating quality, I, I think, is is how you would put it. Uh, I, I was talking with another uh, industry person who runs an analytical lab. And he says, you know, for the companies out there that are using their services and spending money on lab test results, why aren't you spending any money in marketing to show the money that you're spending in lab test as part of your quality story? So you have this sort of like ingredient finished product validation, that's a quality story. You've got clinical research backed ingredients. That's a quality story. Do you think companies, here's the question. Do you think uh, finished product brands can do a better or different job of communicating quality to consumers? It's an interesting question. I mean, certainly in our marketing, we point to our publications, we point to our evidence. Um, our clinical studies are done with, uh, you know, they're powered with enough people that, you know, for example, we may have 30 people, 40 people in each arm of a clinical study. Um, it's not a, it's not a diet company with, you know, six people. It's, it's real, um, it's, it's real science, right? We emphasize all of those things. Do we do enough to emphasize the the, the test methods and the analytical methods? Probably not. Um, it's it's kind of taking consumers down in the weeds, you know, into the the, the details and the nitty gritty. But I, I think there is a consumer that is um, very well educated about the products and technologies, and they want to know uh, the sources and the supply chains. Um, they want to know how that impacts. Um, 
sustainability, how it impacts the folks that are that are cultivating or wildcrafting the herbs, for example. Um, they want to know these things. So I, I think it's a valid observation that, you know, analytical methods and evidence in terms of, of the composition of the product is probably important. Having said that, you know, when we're standardizing to natural products, we're standardizing to markers, um, not to the entire constituent of the extract. Um, but in as much as we can, there are there are third-party labs that will look at um, they will look at the herb to say yeah that is that is actually um, pick an herb that is actually curcumin right that has the right the right DNA the right composition that is derived from curcumin it's not a it's not a um, uh, an adulterated ingredient so th some of that happens but I think yeah we should begin to communicate that more to the consumer. You know, let's let's take a here's a little a more expansive question, just around the greater subject of nutrition science. Now, I I cut my teeth in this field back in the late '90s with the publication Nutrition Science News, so I have a soft spot in my heart for the phrase nutrition science. It's come a long way since Deshay was passed, low those 26 years ago. What do you think, Eric? Are some real revolutions in sort of self-care, healthcare? thanks to nutritional supplementation. It doesn't have to be the companies that you work for, but it could be, you know, since you have worked for quality uh, ingredient supplier companies, I'm telling that, um, you know, innovation and integrity story. Um, let's just talk about general nutrition science. You know, how has that improved people's lives through natural bioactives? So I think um, this, is, this is really an interesting backdrop with with COVID-19 and how it's impacted people's purchasing decisions. You know, since since the spring, March, April, where people said, wow, we're really up against something here that can impact my immunity, can impact my general health. We've seen, especially in the United States, a, a surge in immune products, in, um, in uh, multivitamins, in letter vitamins. For example, we've seen a, a huge increase in vitamin D, vitamin K2. You know, Meniq7 sales have, have been incredibly strong, um, addressing some of the underlying health issues for cardiovascular health, pulmonary health. Um, so we see consumers saying, we really need to look at the, the basis of health and are we doing enough to take care of our general health? And, and um, in the same time frame, some of the other channels have not done as well. I don't think slimming products have done as well, for example, although we all have the, you know, the issues with the COVID-19 pounds. Um, so I think that hopefully that consumers are saying, I need to be more and more aware of my health issues. I need to be more and more aware of my basic nutrition. And we see with these products that are bringing real health benefits for for joints, for bones, for cardiovascular health, for systemic inflammation. We see that folks are getting these health benefits um, without the need to go to pharmaceuticals, which can have some really strong side effects. Not to say that pharmaceuticals don't play a role. They absolutely do. But I think our medical industry is is too quick sometimes to just say, you know, throw you on that statin or throw you on that um, um, name it, proton pump inhibitor, um, whatever, to, instead of saying, well, maybe change your lifestyle a little bit, maybe exercise a little bit more, maybe look at some supplements that can, can help support you. So I, I think that's impacting consumer behavior today. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, 
this has been a great conversation, uh, Eric, and uh, I, I, I want to kind of finish up. I remember having a conversation with you a number of years ago when you were thinking about getting into krill. And then, next thing I know, you hired, uh, you, you know, what, what I thought was like this instant dream team. You, you, you pulled Todd Norton um, and, uh, you know, who had been with Sabinsa, quality company. You pulled Melody Harwood, who, uh, you know, she was with a couple different companies. She went into, um, I don't know, I, I forget. Sorry, Melody. Uh, and so, you know, I'm thinking, wow. What a, what a solid team that you've put together. And so this is just a question, you know, what do you, what do you, Eric, look for when building a team to market science-backed branded ingredients? So first and foremost, in that particular instance, I was lucky enough to join the team at Acker Biomarine Antarctic um, and help them establish the U.S. offices. Um, but certainly for, jo for Todd and Melly to join us, um, it wasn't it wasn't me. It was here's a company that's doing everything right in, from sustainability and harvesting to clinical evidence that the uh, phospholipid omega-3s have real health benefits. Uh, to publishing that work, to really promoting education. So I've been fortunate to be involved with, with branded ingredients because I've been fortunate to be involved with companies that are committed to the basics, the things that we've just talked about, that let's bring products to market that, that have address real health benefits and have evidence that, that prove it. Um, and I think those companies are going to attract fantastic people like, like – um, like Todd Melody that you mentioned, and um, um, so that's just that's just been fortunate that I've been able to be involved with those with those companies. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been talking with Eric Anderson, uh, the managing director and co-founder of Next USA. Thank you for listening to a Healthy Insider podcast. We are continually looking to improve your podcast experience and want to hear from you, the industry listener. Please take a moment to take our quick survey and provide your feedback at naturalproductsinsider.com slash podcast survey.